صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a very, very special show for you today. But first, before we talk about the show, thank you to everybody that rung in last week during our Radiothon. We did phenomenally well. So thanks to everybody that supported the show, that subscribed. Understand we're about $175,000 of our 250 budget. So it's not too late to subscribe. Go to 3cr.org.au, 3cr.org.au. Donate there. Click on that button. Call into the station during the week and support 3CR for shows like Palestine Remembered, but so many other shows, as we know. This week, we're going to talk about a, a dear, dear Palestinian that we lost now three years ago, dear Candy Royale. She passed on the 24th of June. She was 37 years old, sadly, when she died from ovarian cancer. She was a spoken word artist and an outstanding Palestinian Lebanese Australian. Joining us is Sarah, a dear friend of the shows, a dear friend of Palestine, and a really, really close friend of Candy's. Morning, Sarah. How are you? Good morning, Nasser. Thanks so much for um, having me on this important show today. Thank you so much for sharing your time. And I know it's uh, not going to be easy for you talking about the pain of losing somebody so dear, so important to you personally, but also to a cause we hold so dearly. Sarah, why don't you tell us when you first met Candy? Thanks, Nasser. And before I go any further, I'd just like to um, begin quickly by acknowledging that I'm on uh, Gadigal land right now. I'm coming to you from the land of the Eora Nations, and I'd like to pay my utmost respects to elders past and present. And I think given the conversation that we're having here today, our people's history of oral storytelling, it's important for me um, to acknowledge that we are on land where stories have been shared for thousands and thousands of years. And um, you know, sovereignty was not ceded, and it's such a such an honor to be part of that tradition, to continue that tradition as a poet myself. And I think, given that we're talking about Candy, also a storyteller, uh, it becomes more incumbent upon us to not only um, make these acknowledgments but understand these connections beyond the token. Uh, and so, of course, this is was and always will be Aboriginal land. Uh, I also met Candy um, on Gadigal land. We were actually. I remember the first time I met her, she was performing poetry at a rally, of course. So how fitting um, that that should be our first encounter. And I just remember it was also my my first kind of time seeing spoken word be performed at a rally in, in such a way. It was so fierce. It was it was powerful. It was unapologetic. She was fierce and powerful and unapologetic. And for sure, I think one of the reasons why I got into poetry myself is I, I, I saw her perform in all her power. And I was like... Wow, <laughs> that that is someone who, yeah, is just truly an inspiration, I think, for so many of us. Your relationship, how did that evolve? As I mentioned, um, after seeing her uh, perform at this rally over a decade ago now, uh, I think, I believe it was for Palestine, um, 
but we weren't we didn't meet until maybe you know or properly get introduced until a couple of years later uh just as we were starting the Bankstown Poetry Slam which is uh you know a popular community in Western Sydney and I think uh one that Candy obviously held very dearly uh you know one of the biggest uh, or if not the biggest um poetry uh slam in the southern hemisphere Candy was one of our champions at Bankstown Poetry Slam. I think she recognized the importance of having our own spaces, of having self-determined spaces that were inclusive and welcoming and open and truly intersectional and where poets could come and, you know, inhabit and be and bring all parts of themselves unashamedly. And so Candy was one of our champions early on and one of the first features at Bankstown Poetry Slam. And so what we used to do uh, is whenever we'd have a feature, especially someone as impactful and as incredible and as talented as Candy, um, they would offer writing workshops. So one of my first writing workshops as a student ever was under Candy's uh, tutelage and mentorship. Uh, and of course, uh, those, those lessons, those poetic lessons are something that I take into my, or that I bring into my own journey with me to this day and that I've carried with me since. Brilliantly said. And her activism wasn't just confined to Palestine. Obviously, the show's Palestine Remembered. She was Palestinian and she was so te- dear to us for that. But you spoke about intersectionality and the connectedness of all of our struggles, whether it be with our Indigenous brothers and sisters or ourselves as settlers here. But her activism was profound. Yes, that's right. I think first and foremost, of course, uh, as I mentioned to you, she was formidable and unapologetic in her own poetry. So she did not mince words. Uh, these issues were um, front and center of her poetry. As she used to say that her poetry was part of her resistance, as we know, and that it was deeply uh, political. You know, it wasn't poetry, it wasn't passive. It was something that um, we use as a tool to fight and to fight justice and to fight injustice, sorry, for, for justice. And um, to be able to use that, uh, wield that um, with responsibility to understand our privilege and to be able to shine a light on the issues that affect the most marginalized in our societies. And so I think, you know, having said that, of course, um, one of the biggest things that she uh, advocated for and was a champion of was Palestinian rights, um, refugee rights, uh, always understood and showed solidarity for Indigenous communities um, here. And uh, I think that that was very evident, not just in her um, poetry, but in her activism, in her uh, connections and her community building uh, so, of course, I mean, I think that that really speaks to her work and how beloved she was and what a loss that she she has been. She has left a hole in these communities for sure. Um, but having said that, I think that it would be remiss of me not to say that she was a light and a trailblazer and someone who always, you know, wo- had um, love woven into everything that she uh, did. And she did it with love. She did it with passion. Um she was always uh, celebrating that and celebrating these joys. And I think it's something that I also want to bring here today as we speak uh, about her and remember her, uh, that that's something that she was obviously one of the symbol of for me. She was an awesome, awesome talent, but also just so powerful and so charismatic, could fill a room just with her personality and just the energy. We're going to play one of my favourite pieces and and a piece that uh, moves me to tears every time I hear it. Uh, memories are my grandfather's. I am my grandfather's memories of sunshine streaming through olive trees. 
of women sitting around and clucking like hens whilst they crush garlic with spices to make that night's meal. Their men tend gardens, plow the fields of their baladi, their homeland. I am my grandfather's memories, remembering that he was raised as a Christian in the land of Muslims with Jewish friends. He played in the dirt with his future enemies, shared meals, and didn't yet know that history was in the making somewhere in Europe. I am my grandfather's memories and the things he doesn't even know yet. Like he was one of millions of pawns, negotiated in a deal that would alleviate the guilt of the world for crimes committed that they had no hand in. There was no hatred yet. I am my grandfather's nightmare. Stories that came, horrors that caressed the ears of him, his parents, others in their community. It whispered that death was wiping out whole villages, that blood was being shed, so much that rivers ran upon the earth, turning it crimson. Violence was making the arid, arid, land once fertile, wasted. I am my grandfather's nightmares where he wished to be deaf to the stories of the Nakba, where to stay was to die, where to leave was to die. Death comes in many forms and when your feet can no longer touch the ground you took your first steps upon, that's a form of death too. I am my grandfather's nightmares of the stories coming closer, of terror being sowed whilst the peasants ploughed the land. He thought of the danger his aging parents were in. He thought of his own life ahead of him. He'd seen his people torn from the earth. No more roots, they wandered out days, confused, crying for their losses, mourning the dead, asking Allah what they did to deserve this. He'd seen whole villages raised to the ground, and he knew that a on the door was imminent, that the violence ravaging his land would not stop. In fact, it intensified daily, and so, knowing under occupation is no place to live, he left one day. Saying goodbye to his parents, he swore he would send for them once he had found somewhere safe. I am my grandfather's memories, as he stepped out that door one last time held his hand up to shield his eyes, breathed in slow through his nostrils, and forced himself to remember every smell. He opened his eyes wide, allowed them to sting, and looked upon his village one last time. He forced himself to remember every sight. Then he closed his eyes and committed to memory all those memories before 1948 so that he would leave in love and not hate. Opening his eyes, I am his memory of walking away, of the crunch of dirt beneath his feet, of the earth's conversations with him, how the wind wished him well through the trees, and he responded with his heart, knowing he could never return. He swore to his homeland it would reside forever inside. 
I am my grandfather's memories as he immigrated to Lebanon to try to start again. How he worked long hours as a refugee in a foreign land, trying to gather the money required to save his parents from the death which was beckoning. I am my grandfather's memories as he managed to bring his parents over and start his own family. Getting married, having children, tragically losing a wife, getting married again, having more children and trying to provide for them. I am my father's memories of being born into a displaced family where the home is referred to constantly, where he had this sense that he belonged elsewhere, where the injustice was keenly felt, where the world seemed not to care nor understand the plight of his people. I am my father's memories of a family striving to survive, always on the outside, and he as a child growing in another war-torn country, but knowing that he would leave before the army could get to him. I am my father's memories of being kidnapped twice, and twice being set free, for he did not subscribe to any form of religious extremism. I am my father's memories of constant warfare, being shot by rubber bullets, choking on tear gas, listening to missiles soar overhead, and hoping against all hope that their bullet-riddled apartment block would not be hit next. I am my father's memories of being 18 and knowing if he did not leave, he'd have to bear a weapon and the death that comes with it, either behind it or in front of it. So he left that land, knowing he could never return. He became a deserter of a war he did not agree with. As his plane ascended toward the heavens, I am his memories of hope for a better future and sadness that he may never see those whom he loves again. I am my father's memories of picking grapes in France, trying to get enough money to get further away. And my father's memories of boarding a plane for Australia where he knew my mother to be and tearing up his passport, arriving as a refugee. I am my own memory of being eight or nine years old and listening to the voice of my grandfather on a tape he sent us from a land I can barely imagine, but whose food I eat, whose music I hear, whose history I am already learning. I am my own memory of being 10 or 11 years old and seeing my dad cry for the first time. My father knew his father was dying but couldn't return. He didn't get to say goodbye to his barber on his deathbed. That's when I became my grandfather's memories. You see, he could no longer remember now that he'd been buried. I am my own memory of being this teenager and struggling to exist between two cultures, one which sought me to hang on to a past and one which forced me into the future, one which sought to fill me with love and one which forced me to belong to this land. I am my own memory of trying to understand why my father was always so angry until I was old enough to see that where once my father had been a warrior, he was now nothing more than a warrior and I mistook that fear of losing his land, his family, everything I took for granted for anger. I am my family's blood, where these memories, these histories course through my veins, where my own feet have not yet touched the soil, of where my great-grandfather, my grandfather, and my father's footsteps roamed. I am the memories of the displaced, the lost, the hidden, the lies, the propaganda. I am the memories of blue sky, dry heat, homeless to bully tabla. I am the memories of that lost land. And this land gained.
I, I love this poem so much. It's also, I remember when she performed it, I obviously have it in her book. And um, yeah, I actually return to it regularly. <laughs> and so I'm really um, glad that you chose it here today. Tara, why don't you tell us a little bit about her impact beyond the, the poetry slam, etc. her impact into the community aside from yourself? As I said, I think that the fact that Candy was someone who didn't just uh, her activism, uh, her well, you know, her, yeah, her her passion and her activism di didn't just stop at poetry. I think in words, it started at poetry and at words and on the stage, but also off stage with community. And she was very passionate about um, making sure that her. Uh, everything that she did in, was infused with this fight for justice, whether it was an anti-colonial or uh, pro-refugee uh, rights. And so, and, and the other thing she was very passionate about, which I want to uh, mention today, is elevating voices, elevating um, poets of color, and particularly women of color in uh, the poetry scene, because as you can imagine, and as I said before, Candy was a trailblazer and one of the first, if not the first, as far as I know, um, Palestinian uh, spoken word artists to reach the kind of some of the milestones that she did. So she was very big on not only creating this consciousness, but, uh, you know, making sure that we were connected in our uh, arts and within these communities. And creating windows. She was very concerned with creating windows and doors uh, to uplift other poets, to upskill them and uplift them so that they can tell and share their stories in a way that wasn't subjected to the white gaze, that was very um, self-determined and uh, that was true to their own um, struggles as well. She was recognised internationally. She toured the world. She was a, a force beyond just Australia. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, she here um, in Australia, she had won um, a couple of uh, slam championships. I, if I'm not mistaken, um, the Nimbin uh, was one of them. She was also the Red Room Poetry Fellow, which is, you know, a huge deal, significant. And again, the first Palestinian, first um, Palestinian uh, queer woman to uh, achieve that. So definitely someone who set uh, or paved the path for so many of us and again was always doing it in a way where she brought us along with her on that journey and she was very um, always wanted to show our collective strength with the strength of our divergent voices. This next piece we're going to share, Sara, you recorded with her. Tell us a little bit about it. Yes, uh, actually, it was a project that was started with uh, the filmmaker Jackie, um, who had originally um, started this project with Candy, and then unfortunately, Candy uh, passed away in the middle of it. And we wanted to continue, um, you know, to pick up where the project had stopped and to continue her legacy in a way that. Um, did her, you know, at least to the extent that something like this can do candy justice to do her justice. And it was definitely a communal effort. So myself and Jackie, the filmmaker, uh, and a bunch of uh, poets, uh, as I said, women of color, particularly, who were all inspired and or connected with candy and involved in her life one way or another, um, came together to uh, record this poem and to film it as well into a short story so that we can have something, you know, a piece of candies to take uh, forward and to remember her uh, message, which was that of pure 
love. So the poem is called Love and Revolution. for when you sat down on that bus and refused to get up, when you rallied the 67 vote campaign but history books still don't know your name, when governments forced the bismillah out of our mouths, redrew our lines, put us behind barbed wire fences, left us to bury our children in Gaza. When they dropped bombs of democracy in March 2003, then called it civilization, bleached the reef, made backdoor deals with Adani, you call that civilization? Sister, you have a sound for January 26, the backs of paddy wagons and 40 degree heat from those stolen throughout generations to those waiting for reparations for the splinted syllables that split humans in halves to the strikes for our rights in every square and every street. We have a sound for everything. Every time we said please and no and thank you and someone spoke over us, silenced, managed, dismissed, diminished, erased us, we will not be denied from conversations like verbs without their person. Nobody taught us language, but we're fluent. Our breathing is louder than bullets, our bodies bending infinite prayers, folding into each other. Sister, we have a sound for everything. We are not collateral, not cogs in their war machines. The function of our fight for freedom is to help free, to imagine what is possible, to struggle against tyranny. Apartheid walls will always collapse. We won't stretch ourselves empty to fill in the gaps of tired men, of tired country. We're not bound by respectability. We're glorious even in mediocrity. No need for humanizing mythology or narratives that divide and define us in binaries, sister. Your life is a promise this empire was never going to keep. I won't let you burn at the stake. Just don't become accustomed to the flame. We won't politely wait for them to put out the fires they started. Sister, I know you have a sound for everything. A sound for your silence, for your strength, for your service, for your solidarity, your surviving. They don't care about the difference between us more than ever. There is no difference between us being othered costs. They came for them, so they'll come for us. How many messengers do you need? They call me a prophet, which shows how desperate we are to believe in something. I'm no conjured for those gods I can't see. See this, we connect through humanity. Shared stories, seven billion bodies, and beating hearts to create our own destiny. We need peace for that. Uh, greed is not in our nature. They teach us not working is failure. Now we're strangers, worshipping the dollar in danger of becoming our own slave drivers, surviving enough to be pit against us. Every form of ism of us to distract from the fact you and me we are pure love, pure love, we are pure love, pure love, we are pure love, pure love, we are pure love, pure love.
Never forget where we're from or whose shoulders we stand on. Sister, you are a map of people and places, a river moving people to places we honor ancestry. We are Arteta's memories. We don't need permission. We're the difference between sight and vision. Follow tradition and forge our own stories to share. We shapeshift our wounds into equal parts gratitude. We learn to break our bones and rearrange them. We won't mistake lessons for lovers. We are more than our trauma. They tricked us into believing we can only be one thing. We are an altar of hope and grief, courage and fear, and all the in-betweens, autumn and spring, falling into each other. We are dawn and dusk. There is no light without our dark. We are growing new worlds, and new worlds are growing us. Sister. We have a sound for everything. Our sounds are a chorus of voices that spin this earth on its axis. We are each other's safety nets. I will hold all your parts. Where your sweat ends, mine starts. I am the shedding of your skin. Your limbs are my anatomy. My poems are your artistry. Your roots are my trees. And I will fight for your dreams. So let's song, let's truth. I will translate all my alliterations for you. You are the morning before our revolution. You are more than revolution, resurrection, ravenous. healing here and your heart your heart our hearts are the size of everything we are pure love pure love we are pure love pure love <laughs> Sarah, thanks. That was so very beautiful. Perhaps just to close the show, Sarah, uh, your fondest and dearest memory of Candy. There are so many, <laughs> particularly, of course, um, artistic moments, performances, uh, celebrations, features. But I think one of the things um, that, yeah, and rallies, I should say, as well. But one of the things that I uh, remember most uh, is a chat that her and I had very early on, uh, kind of in my I guess, poetry journey. And, you know, she said to me that uh, women and particularly Arab women, Palestinian women um, have for so long had to cede space, you know, we're silenced and we are censored uh, and, you know, often self-censor because of the violence and the cost of being who we are and speaking out is too high. But she told me that, that we shouldn't let that, um, you know, we shouldn't let that fear get to us and that we should, if we're angry, we should let that anger sit alongside justice and sit alongside love and keep doing what we're doing and support each other. I think that was the, the main thing that 
I could turn to her for advice whenever I wanted, but to never doubt the power of my voice and to always use it in a way uh, because art is uh, hopeful and art is healing and uh, art is power. And she, you know, she reminded me to never underestimate my power. And, you know, for when I'm feeling like we're definitely doomed, at least uh, with, with art and with poetry, I feel like it becomes a bit more bearable. So uh, I, I definitely think that Candy has taught me a lot, but that's one of the biggest lessons that I hold dear today. Sarah, thanks so very much for sharing uh, your personal journey with Candy, someone so powerful, so, so very brilliant and sadly gone so soon, 37 years of age from ovarian cancer. There was a quote in the Guardian obituary there that on June the 5th, so only 20 days before she passed, um, she's quoted as saying, I finally arrived at where I needed to be. And it's a beautiful way to, to end a life, sadly too short. And thank you so very much for sharing your personal memories and for the work you've done since in honouring her. And we hope that her friends might listen to this show and shed a tear and remember just how special she was to all of us. Thank you so much, Nasser and Vale Candy. I met with Sarah. Thanks again, Sarah, for joining us. Do yourselves a favor, listeners. Google Candy Royale. Listen to some of her work. Watch some of her YouTube videos. You'll truly be impressed, as we all were, any of us that had ever met her or seen her perform, just to the power of her spoken word art and her empathy with all humans, but in particular as a Palestinian speaking to Palestine and other indigenous struggles. Be sure to tune in next week. There's never been a better time for a free Palestine and you're all part of that struggle. Part of that struggle is 3CR. Be sure to subscribe, sponsor and donate. Thanks again and speak to you next week.